Welcome to episode 275 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Today, Wednesday, February 28th, the Alberta government lifted its seven-month moratorium on wind, solar, and geothermal development, while introducing a slew of new rules and regulations that will effectively hobble Canada's most renewable energy province. Yes, you heard that right. The epicenter of the Canadian oil and gas industry also leads the country in renewable energy. Alberta installed one gigabyte, uh, sorry, gigawatt of wind and solar capa generating capacity in 2022 and was on its way to double that last year when Premier Danielle Smith's Conservative government pulled the plug. To dive into the details of today's announcement, I'm joined by Jason Wang, a senior analyst working on the Pemba Institute's elect electricity program. So welcome to the interview, Jason. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you here. And and before we get into the questions, I'm going to just let uh, listeners know that uh, we're we're recording this sort of mid afternoon. By the end of the afternoon, I'll have a column out on this on this topic, in which I will not argue, uh, uh, make an argument about the details that you and I will be discussing. Rather, I'm going to take the big picture approach and argue that Alberta has be, is acting like an incumbent. It's it, it, You can see this in the oil and gas industry. You can see it in the, uh, the power sector. The incumbent companies, their business models are being disrupted by new technologies. Electrification of transportation in the case of the oil and gas, or oil anyway, and, and then wind and solar and battery storage on the in the power sector, rather than adapt and and re-engineer the grid and, and do some of the things that you know the U.S. is doing, Europe is doing, China is doing, th this government has chose basically put up a shield. So that's what I'm going to be arguing, folks. And you can read all about it when it's hot off the well my keyboard uh, in just a few hours. Until then, Jason, let's talk about what the details of this. And the first thing I want to talk about <laughs> is the government requiring reclamation um, security for wind and solar projects. So maybe give us the details. Yeah, so I mean, I uh, want to start off by saying too, the government in some ways didn't give many details today. You know, they announced a few new policies and some approaches, but uh, there, there in general are more question marks uh, that I and many others have than than answers. So what they said on reclamation today was just that uh, reclamation will be required formally. It will need to go to the government or uh, if the developer and the, uh, can, can show, uh, I can't remember the, the exact word, but if they can show sufficient evidence that they are going to provide it to the landowner, then the Alberta Utilities Commission might be able to uh, consider that in lieu of uh, payment to government. So anyways, there, there's so many exceptions. And the the key thing is, uh, regardless of how it's actually implemented, uh, you know, we don't know if it's going to be up front, if it's going to need to be over time. Regardless of that, uh, all of those approaches will be more than is required in many other sectors in Alberta. Uh, including the conventional oil and gas sector. Oh, let's talk about that. Uh, 
uh, alert listeners will remember that last year we published part two of the unethical oil series, which was looking at the conventional oil and gas uh, industry in the U.S. through the lens of the Alberta Energy Regulator. And lo and behold, what did we find? Well, just on the conventional side of the business, the companies had racked up a staggering 130 to 150 billion, that's with a big B, of unfunded environmental liabilities. And we talked about how you can go back to 1938 with the creation of the first oil and gas regulator in Alberta, and they grappled with the issue of security. When do you take security? The the at that ever since ni 1938, the prior the uh, Alberta government has always prioritized expansion and profitability of the industry and government revenues over environmental liabilities. This is a new one, folks. So and and hypocritical. I mean, there's two standards here. They they don't take security, never have taken security, and won't take security ever for oil and gas. But here, where the liabilities will be a fraction of oil and gases, they're insisting on. I would imagine, I, I've seen, I don't know how many um, analysts, uh, Jason, like yourself, point this out. But when Pembina does it, does the government listen? Uh, I think, you know, you, I think you had my colleague, uh, Trinetta, on the show uh, a couple of episodes ago, uh, talking about issues like this. And I think, you know, I, I can't remember if she mentioned, but I do want to point out that estimates for conventional oil and gas liabilities in Alberta alone uh, are at least $60 billion. Uh, that's what the Auditor General has said uh, in their in their multiple reports saying that the Alberta Energy Regulator is not doing enough, and uh, even its proposed reforms are not sufficient. There are estimates higher than $60 billion, but again, this, this is what the official office of the uh, Auditor General is saying, $60 billion. That's 115 times more than estimated wind and solar liabilities. So, uh, you know, th there's a two orders of magnitude uh, difference here between the two sectors. And yeah, indeed, one sector now has rules, the other sector doesn't have rules. Today, uh, during the press conference, the Minister of Affordability and Utilities, uh, Nathan Newdorf, was asked about this. And I believe his answer uh, as to, you know, if the government is going to tackle the oil and gas liabilities issue, he said that, uh, I, I believe, the uh, that he will be looking forward to, or that he will be looking to the regulator, the Alberta Energy Regulator, the Energy Regulator to uh, make recommendations. Uh, but you know, I, like I understand that's outside of uh, his portfolio. Uh, that's more uh, perhaps in a different minister's file. But with the renewables moratorium and inquiry, you know, that was a government decision to say, uh, we want to intervene, we want to provide guidance to the regulator. And uh, indeed, at the end, you know, they've made the, the decisions, we don't even know what the regulator recommended to the government and that report, um, you know, hasn't been released. Right? Well, when they justified the moratorium, they fibbed all over the place about who asked for it. They claimed that the Alberta Utilities Commission asked for it. 
that wasn't the case. They claimed that the Rural Municipalities Association asked for it. That wasn't the case. Then they claimed the Alberta Electricity Electrical System Operator uh, asked for it, and that wasn't the case. I mean, you know, there's so many fibs been told on this file already that it's hard to keep the, the fibs straight without a program. But anyway, let's go on to uh, agricultural lands. And look, I mean, I get it. You know, the UCP is very strong in rural Alberta. Lots of landowners, lots of farmers, ranchers uh, who are concerned about having a, you know, wind turbine, quote unquote, blight their landscape. But the they want, the government has instructed the AUC to take an agriculture first approach. What does that mean? Yeah, so... I mean, what what they've said, uh, you know, beyond that framing is just that renewable energy will be banned from class one and two land in Alberta, uh, also the class three land that can be productive for certain crops. Uh, so to be honest, we, we don't know what that last part means. We don't know what crops they're going to consider. Um, we do know that renewables developers already have basically avoided class one and two land. There barely is any class one land in Alberta, actually. Uh, so, you know, the developers have already been working with landowners to, you know, create projects that make sense, right? So solar projects are already on brownfields. And uh, what's been interesting is that uh, municipalities, of course, they want saying, but they've also been asking for the government to finish their regional land use planning rules, right? Those are the rules, and that's the approach that was supposed to provide clarity over all kinds of development. And, uh, you know, they, they, again, have sort of taken a unique approach to the renewable sector uh, in creating rules outside of that, that approach, right? And, you know, I want to highlight that in terms of land use in Alberta, uh, either on agricultural land or on crown land and, in, in you know, the entire province, renewables wind and solar are just a very tiny fraction so you know we did some analysis and we saw that conventional oil and gas across the province uh, just as one metric of comparison because you know there there's a uh, an outstanding well issue but the conventional oil and gas is 125 times uh, larger of a land user than current wind and solar Right. And then there are gravel pits, golf courses, feedlots, irrigation canals, landfills, and residential um, residences, of course. All of those are way larger land users than wind and solar. So I, I want to put some numbers around that. There are about just under 465,000 wells in, uh, in Alberta, and about 350,000, 360,000 of those uh, have still not, are, are still have equipment on them uh, on their lease. Then there's uh, 90,000 facilities, and the Alberta Energy Regulator doesn't even know how many of those are reclaimed or what shape they're in. It, it's their understanding of that as, asset class is pathetic. And then there's 440,000 kilometers of pipeline, mostly under the ground in Alberta, that has to be reclaimed. And then there's all kinds of old pits and what have you that, that aren't even included in any of these any of these calculations and then and then we haven't talked about the oil sands yet that's nine thousand square kilometers if you can wrap your head around that number of development in the most sensitive boreal forest peat and peatlands on the planet and and, and that's another 150 billion dollars 
Now the official numbers are much less than that because I mean, who wants to? Who want? What what bureaucrat is going to stand up in front of a hundred and fifty billion dollar number, and, and and talk about that in front of the press? Nobody. But anyway, we, that's grist for another conversation. So, the oil and gas industry has had a huge effect on the land use and the environment in Alberta, and the renewable energy industry has had a little tiny impact. But guess who gets the, the draconian rules? Okay. So um, one of the things, I, okay, so here's another question. I know you don't have an answer for this, Jason, but I mean, this is illustrates the kind of work that the government does when it does these kinds of things. It says the government's going to establish tools, quote, unquote, tools to ensure native grasslands, irrigable, uh, productive lands continue to be available for agriculture production. What tools, when, how is, I mean, that's just, what do you do with that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I want to point out uh, just a, qu a quick fact check, if you will, uh, Mark. And technically, the moratorium lifts, uh, I guess, at the end of tomorrow. It hasn't been lifted yet, uh, the nominal moratorium. And then on March 1st, the Alberta Utilities Commission is supposed to be able to proceed with their uh, their approvals process. But I think like you alluded to, you know, there there are no clear rules. We don't know, uh, you know, the answers to many of these things. And, you know, my expectation is on March 1st, the Utilities Commission isn't going to have enough information to be able to confidently proceed with their approvals. And developers certainly aren't going to know, uh, aren't going to have enough information to proceed with their projects until you know, probably later this year, whenever those details are fleshed out. Uh, so we're basically ending up with uh, a moratorium in, uh, in in all but name for the next couple of months. You know, this week is not the end of this uncertainty for, for developers. Yeah, you'll remember, you'll recall my comments at the beginning of this interview where I said that the government very deliberately stuck a dagger in the heart of the renewables industry. Now it's going to come with another uh, dagger in a couple of couple of months. And then I expect there'll be more daggers after that. This is the gift that keeps on giving for the government and well, and for energy journalists, I have to say, but the, uh, and we've got a few more other, a few more, a few other things that we want to talk about the, the, and I, I hate to say change in rules because I should point out here, Mark Doran, who is an administrative land expert and, uh, works with landowners in rural Alberta uh, in their disputes with the Alberta Energy Regulator, has pointed out that in legislation, many of the things that the government is saying were already permitted. Like there was already um, the legislative and regulatory ability to take security. The uh, the lands issue uh, was was dealt with. The There was so much of this that was covered already within existing legislation and regulations and then the government comes along with its ham-handed approach and and makes a bunch of vague promises and no one knows how it's going to all they've done is introduce uncertainty and uncertainty because we talked to you know when the moratorium wasn't was uh put in place seven months ago talk uncertainty kills investment and there was about $5 billion or so of, of projects, uh, renewable projects in the queue that I don't see how those are going to, to proceed. Uh, what's your take on that, Jason? 
Yeah, so I'm not personally a renewable energy developer, but you know, many have said they're already uh, looking at uh, or focusing their attention on other provinces. And now uh, basically every province except Alberta and PEI is you know, actively seeking renewable energy development uh, you know, along different timelines, but they all understand that uh, renewables are key to economic growth, to uh, especially a future clean economy. Uh, and, you know, Alberta is standing out in the country right now in how it's approaching uh, renewables growth. Uh, we now have global commitments to triple renewables by 2030. And I think many Canadian jurisdictions are responding to that and, and acting accordingly, right? They, like I said, recognize the investment potential. They recognize that renewables bring down the cost of electricity to consumers. That's a huge thing. Uh, we're working on some analysis actually that uh, has looked at what the impact was last year. And the preliminary results are that it saved Albertan households hundreds per, uh, or hundreds of dollars over the course of the year on their electricity bills. So. You know, uh, it, it is strange. I think developers um, are seeing demand uh, not just across the country, but across the world. And they're going to go where projects uh, can be built quickly, right? They're not going to just park their, uh, their dollars around waiting for rules to be clarified. They want to put that to work and get those investments uh, invested. Oh, I, I predict that the rules will never be clarified. This is meant to be, the, the government here has created a swamp. And the swamp is meant to, to trap the developers and discourage them and, and so that they will go elsewhere. So I that's my take on this. But let's talk about viewscapes. And this gets into wind uh, turbine development projects. The buffer zones of a minimum of 35 kilometers to be established around protected areas and other quote, unquote, pristine viewscapes, as designated by the Alberta government. Your colleague, Simon Dyer, uh, was tweeting out that this would this rule essentially take about 76% of, of the land in the province out of consideration, and it would be the best land, or the best, best uh, wind and solar resources that would be affected. <laughs> I... I, I the, the premier's rhetoric about how this is going to actually stimulate the the renewables it just I, I have to say it makes me laugh when I read when I read the actual intent of the rules. So anyway, what do we what do we make of the uh, the viewscape rule, Jason? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you summarized our, our most of our response already uh, or our our views on this. Um, there's like everything else today. Uh, more questions raised than answers. We don't know what you know pristine viewscapes mean. The minister actually said that himself. There's no universal uh, definition of viewscapes, and you know, judging by their press release, they're saying uh, there's there needs to be a buffer zone around protected protected areas. Uh, they they haven't actually specified what those mean, but from our preliminary analysis, yeah, that's up to seventy six percent of southern Alberta. Uh, <laughs> You know, not 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 quite all of it, but more than two thir uh, more than three quarters rather. Uh, and indeed, many of those are uh, are in uh, areas where renewable resources are are the best in the province. Uh, I, I think somebody asked the the minister if they've looked at the economic 
impact of these uh, of these new rules. And I think the minister said that they they hadn't done that analysis. So you know that uh, raises some questions for me. Of again, it's like it's like in August last year. Was their consultation with the sector? Do these rules make sense? Uh, there were in August 118 projects in the queue, representing at least 33 billion dollars of uh, of investment into the province. How many of those projects are affected? You know, government doesn't seem to know. We're gonna try to crunch those numbers, but uh, I imagine if it does cover uh, or if 76 percent of Alberta's southern Alberta's land is prohibiting um, renewable development, it's going to affect a lot of those projects in the queue. I'll tell you how I would have handled the economic development impact analysis of, of these projects. I would have called up Professor Kent Fellows at the University of Calgary and said, hey, Kent, if you take an hour and do and run this through your input-output model, I'll buy you lunch next week. I mean, this is how... This government can't even do that kind of simple analysis. There are lots of economists, Andrew Leach at the University of Alberta. These these folks do this kind of analysis, you know, while they're brushing their teeth in the morning. It's just it's pretty simple stuff, and this government can't wrap its head around this enough to get it. It's how you how do you base changes in policy, and presumably then the regulations that flow out of that policy without analysis. If you don't do modeling, if you don't do the kind of stuff we're talking about, you know, no government minister should ever go to a press conference and say, I don't know. We haven't done that work yet. <laughs> you know, the, the level of, I, and I, I really need to say this, the level of incompetence from Nate Newdorf and the Premier and Premier Smith on this file is staggering to the point of, well, it makes I've, I've laughed a couple of times in this interview and I, I it's a wonder I don't I haven't spent the whole uh, interview laughing. It's just it's it's comical. But anyway, that's you're here as a scene, uh, a serious analyst, not comic relief. So let's go on to something serious. Let's talk about the municipalities. And actually, Markham, can I just say, um, yeah, sure. I, I, I think this government, uh, you know, they work with their ministry and uh, they, you know, I, to my understanding, they 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 do analyses uh, on this one. I don't know why there wasn't an economic analysis or economic impact analysis, but the a consistent theme on this file has been that uh, even if government has had uh, consultation or has done analysis, they haven't released it. So, you know, the, the AEC, the AUC, the Utilities Commission, uh, their module A inquiry that was looking at the questions uh, that the announcement today addressed. That report was submitted uh, at, at least a month ago. We're not actually sure when, but uh, we don't know if that report is going to be released. We don't know if the minister uh, has any intention of that. That report's supposed to you know, compile everything that the AUC and the commission heard. And you know, like uh, previously analysis on the clean electricity regulations, um, their potential impact, uh, th there are reports that we know exist, uh, but have never seen the light of day. Just for our American friends, we should make a distinction here. Under the Westminster system that that is the basis of Canadian government, the the civil service stays the same. the The party that wins the election, 
forms the government. And so every four years when you have an election, you have a new government. So when I say the government is incompetent and can't do this basic work, I don't mean the civil servants. I don't mean the folks in the Department of Energy or at the Alberta uh, Utilities Commission or at ASO or any of those, those, those folks. I mean the elected officials and their advisors and staff because we see this over and over. And you just you just gave us some more examples, and there are many more that we could we could we could talk about. But move it's time to move on. Okay, so the municipalities, how are they affected by this? Uh, so the government today said that municipalities they're going to to grant automatic uh, standing to in decision making and. Uh, or into the hearings that the commission holds. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, our, our view on that is it makes sense. Municipalities uh, should be able to to comment on, you know, projects that are going up in their in their regions. Uh, what has been surprising, though, still is, like I said earlier, there's a process that was supposed to be in place, or sorry, that, that is nominally in place that was supposed to have been carried out that would have worked with municipalities, uh, landowners, driven by the province to, to 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 do land use planning, to do zoning, and figure out where, you know, what the collective interest was, where we don't want certain types of projects, whether that's uh, energy related or other kinds of development. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, the biggest driver of uh, agricultural land loss has been residential uh, expansion, right? Uh, both rural and urban. So, you know, I, I think if Alberta is concerned about agricultural issues, right, then uh, the, the the issue doesn't lie with just energy development. Alberta should be taking a holistic approach to answering uh, or looking at how we answer that question. There's another issue with, about municipalities, and that is the amount of tax revenue that municipalities generate. So at, with the decline of the oil and gas industry, the the renewables uh, sector was generating over, I think it was $277 million a year, but I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it was over 200 million. Anyway, it, was just, it, it makes up a significant portion of a number of, of counties' but annual budget, and that's now put in jeopardy. Uh, or it, at the very least, other municipalities won't get to enjoy those kinds of revenues, and for which they then use to provide services, you know, like roads and and what have you, uh, for their for their uh, for their taxpayers. So that, what is your? Do you have an opinion on the extent to which these rule changes will affect the ability of municipalities? to grow the, the tax revenue that comes from wind and solar projects. Yeah, so just uh, comment on the 277 million. I think uh, that's potentially based on analysis from the Business Renewable Center. Uh, and I think what they were looking at is uh, if proposed uh, renewable energy projects were built, then by 2028, uh, that's, that's how much tax revenue would go to, uh, I think, yeah, 33 different municipalities um, in that year, and that would uh, that would mean you know a couple of municipalities. Uh, I, I think eight would have at least half of their operating revenues come from, uh, or, or they'd be able to cover half of their current operating uh, revenues from just renewable energy. So I, I think that's substantial. Uh, many municipalities 
have said that they want renewable energy development for infrastructure, like you said, roads, uh, hockey arenas, uh, other things. Municipalities have been, uh, I think, asking for for uh, for more provincial support in many forms uh, related to to revenues and operations and infrastructure. So, um, I think renewable energy was was uh, was and has been, I guess. Um, something that they've been looking forward to, right? Because it's it's consistent. It's not like oil and gas tax revenues, uh, many which of which are unpaid and which are are quite cyclical. Um, yeah, I, I think municipalities certainly wanted, uh, or many municipalities wanted more say in this. But I also want to note uh, specifically, a couple of municipalities were against the moratorium when it was announced in in August. They spoke out and said, this is not the right approach. They want to be able to develop projects. And the moratorium was only hurting uh, their project development and hurting potential investors in their counties, right? Right. Well, let's wrap up this uh, this conversation with by talking about transmission regulation. Now, it says here that the renewable projects should expect changes in how transmission costs are allocated. And what basically what that means is they're going to shift some of the transmission uh, uh, costs over to renewable energy projects or more of them. Now, I want to provide some some important context for this. A couple of years ago, ASO released the study. That's the Alberta Electricity System Operator. And they had been out uh, in the field talking to stakeholders since 2018. And the biggest issue that came that was included in that report was the fact that they're worried big industrial and commercial projects will self-generate primarily with solar and then they'll get off the grid and then the remaining <clears throat> grid users will have to pay higher fees uh, to make up for the loss. And remember that in Alberta, it's very different. 86% of electricity use is industrial, commercial, and business. Only 14% only is residential. So the... <laughs> The government is signaling to any renewable project here that we we're not going to tell you how much it's going to go up, but we are going to tell you that if you decide to go ahead with a solar or wind project, boy, you're going to pay more. And I, you know, you want to talk about uncertainty, uh, putting a chill on investment. That's exactly the kind of uncertainty that we're talking about. Yeah, I think the changing the transmission regulation and uh, shifting those costs around could have tremendous impact on project development. Many developers will probably look at that and, and say, it's, it's too uncertain. Um, we don't know what the government is actually going to do uh, with, with that regulation, right? So um, it's another area where uh, we're, we're seeking certainty. Uh, I wanna say on this, historically, you know, coal plants, gas plants, uh, all these facilities we've built transmission to, and they haven't been the ones to pay for transmission uh, in the province. So that's just not how our market is designed. And you know, I'd say you could talk to many economists uh, to, uh, and, and they'll have differing opinions about what the optimal economic market setup is. But uh, a lot of thought went into how Alberta's market is set up, and uh, it it was uh, it was set up in a way that. Um, said generators, or sorry, load uh, should be 
uh, or users of electricity should be the ones that uh, pay. And you know, the the government is flipping its flipping this on its head and saying we should take a completely different approach. And we don't know if there has been analysis on what this means, but we do know that uh, many developers see this as a risk. I think on transmission, the main challenge that I've seen is uh, Alberta now is starting to see congestion. We are starting to see issues of transmission within the province, but all of these issues stem from, in my view, insufficient planning over the last decade or even more. If we had uh, or taken approaches like Texas or South Africa or in the Philippines and building transmission uh, to areas of high renewable potential, many of the current challenges that we currently see could have been avoided. Okay, <clears throat> I can't let you go yet. Now you've op you've opened that Pandora's box. I want to talk about an interview I did a couple of weeks ago with uh, Gerhard Schlaga, who is the Chief Technology Officer for Hitachi Energy. Gerhard is a <clears throat> an old uh, power sector hand, and he's worked in on with uh, utilities and regulators all over the world. And one of the things that we talked about was renewables actually can strengthen the grid. But when you, uh, in the modern grid, <clears throat> it's being completely transformed and revolutionized by new technologies. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about new digital technologies. We're talking about artificial intelligence. We're talking about grid enhancing technologies that allow you to, to send two or three times the amount of power over an existing line. We're talking about wind and solar, inverter-based resources. Uh, and we're talking about storage. We're maybe gonna have vehicles. This is amounts to a revolution. And when you uh, utilities is particularly in the US are grappling with this right now because they have a creaky old grid and and uh, they know it needs to be decarbonized in there. So they're they're doing a lot of the more work than we've had to do up here in Canada. But the lesson to be learned is that wind and solar are not drop in replacements for thermal power for thermal plants, coal and gas. When you get up to a certain percentage, and Alberta is already there at 14% wind and solar in its fuel mix, you have to begin re-engineering the grid. You have to begin making these changes. You need more storage. You need more time of use rates. You do need to reform your market. You all There's a whole long list of stuff that Gerhardt and I talk about. Alberta has steadfastly refused to do this. It has not embarked on a planning process and it's not just the UCP they're the sort of the worst but it didn't happen under the NDP from 2015 to 2019 it didn't happen under the PCs there has so we how are we how is Alberta going to plan implement and have a modern grid clean low cost reliable if it doesn't do any planning whatsoever it gets exactly what it has now, which is chaos. It's utter chaos in Alberta around, you've got economic withholding by the big utility companies. You now have this hodgepodge or whatever that we want to call this renewables. We've got no support for geothermal, you know, at the provincial level. It is just, it's it's awful. At the very same time, we're electrifying the, the national economy. And we're switching over to electric vehicles and heat pumps and electric industrial processes. Alberta can't get its electrical act together. This is a tragedy. And it's 
it's biting Alberta and the behind already, and it's only going to be leave, leaving more teeth marks uh, and more serious teeth marks in the future. So anyway, that's my rant, Jason. I'll let we'll close off the interview. We should at least give you a chance to respond. <laughs> Um, no, I appreciate that. I think uh, th there are some steps that the government should take that, I, in, in my view, uh, are, are quite um, quite low regrets, quite obvious. Uh, the government has now said they have a commitment to net zero by 2050. Uh, we haven't actually seen many details from them on what that uh, is going to mean, but they should... Uh, explicitly give that to the system operator and the utilities commission, the regulator, as a mandate, because the professionals uh, in those organizations, you know, they've been doing this for years. They, they, uh, you know, they they know these systems. They talk to peers in jurisdictions that have more renewables than us. Uh, it, they just need to be given that that mandate clearly, and you know, they can figure out all the engineering that. Uh, you know, I, it goes way over my head on like how wind turbines can help maintain inertia uh, on the system, how, uh, you know, wind and solar can become uh, grid forming technologies and help us with black starts, right, or or other uh, types of system reliability issues. They, the professionals, you know, they, they know how to tackle this. They talk to their peers that have gone through this already. Uh, they just need to be given... Uh, that that mandate to actually pursue this. So, uh, I hope the government of Alberta, you know, acts on their <laughs> what is it called, the emission reductions and energy development plan, uh, and whatever of their commitments. Like if they've said 2050 is doable, fine. Like tell your regulator, tell your system operator, uh, let's get to work. They haven't done that yet. Well, Jason, I have to say, I I have called the uh, the emissions reduction energy development plan a oil and gas marketing plan, not a climate plan, as the the premier. The, and this is more indicative of the the chaos that surrounds. It is not even a plan. It's basically a fifty page brochure of all the thing wonderful things that Alberta has done, and all the wonderful things that Alberta plans to do, and all the wonderful things that will happen if we only put more LNG plants on the west coast and ship Alberta ga natural gas out there, and on uh, you know, and how that'll reduce emissions in China. It's it's a fantasy. It's it's an utter fantasy. And I, you're you're an analyst, and I and you're you're being very patient with my rants here because this you know I don't expect you to respond this way, but I have to communicate to my listeners, especially those who aren't you know that familiar with Alberta, but maybe even particularly the Albertans who listen to this because we have a fair audience there. This is chaos. It is nuts, and it's only getting nuttier. And this is happening at the worst possible time as the global energy transition accelerates. This is the bad, the wrong time to be incompetent, which is the government, not the bureaucrats, not the professionals running the grid. Let's be very clear about that. It's the government that's incompetent. Anyway, you've, you've been a great sport, Jason. You put up with me and my ranting. So thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Yeah, thanks again for having me.